It is well known that the United States spends more than 16% of its total GDP on health care, yet 56 million Americans lack adequate access to a primary care provider. And demand will only continue to rise, according to estimates from the John D. Steckel Center for Primary Care Innovation. The number of Americans over age 85 is projected to increase 50% by 2010, while 83% of Americans over age 65 are now diagnosed with a chronic medical condition. Our guest today, however, goes against the conventional wisdom that we are suffering from a shortage of doctors. Welcome to our special segment on public health policy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. Richard Scheffler. He is Distinguished Professor of Health Economics and Public Policy at the University of California at Berkeley and holds the chair in Healthcare Markets and Consumer Welfare, endowed by the Office of the Attorney General for the State of California. Dr. Scheffler is also director of the Global Center for Health Economics and Policy Research, as well as director of the Nicholas C. Petras Center on Healthcare Markets and Consumer Welfare. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Scheffler. Happy to be here, Leslie. Yeah, we keep hearing about the doctor shortage. Why don't you set up the problem for us? Well, the doctor shortage is a very complicated concept to think about. We certainly understand that having access to a doctor is the fundamental key to good health care and the fundamental key to the healthcare system. So there's always major concern and focus to make sure that we have an adequate supply of doctors. However, some of the ways people think about it are really inappropriate and lead to really very, very false conclusions. So um, I live in uh, Berkeley, which is, of course, right near San Francisco. And Berkeley uh, is famous, uh, San Francisco is famous for a lot of things, a lot of tourists, but it also has some interesting characteristics that bears on this problem. It has the highest ratio of doctors per capita for a city its size. And interestingly enough, it also has the highest per capita number of restaurants, places, <laughs> um, places to have a meal. And so I was interested in both facts because <laughs> when I give various presentations to my students or to medical students or to the public, and I say, you know, we might not have the kind of doctor shortage that you're thinking about, I always get the kind of puzzled look and often get a response which goes something like this. Professor Scheffler, how can you possibly believe that we have enough doctors, particularly primary care doctors, if when I need to see a doctor, I call up on the phone and sometimes it will take me a few days, a week, or in some cases with a specialist, it can be two to four weeks or even two to four months. So how can you possibly say even in the Bay Area in San Francisco, we have enough doctors. And then, of course, I have a lot of friends who are really into eating good food. Of course, we call them foodies. <laughs> and they say the same thing. Right, they say, right. well, when I need to find a good meal, I find it really difficult. So I performed a little uh, quasi-experiment with my students to, in San Francisco. I started by having them go to a listing of the, the best doctors in San Francisco in a magazine called the San Francisco Magazine, and it puts out a yearly issue of the best doctors in the Bay Area. And I had them start to call these doctors and various specialties and asked uh, how long it would take to get an appointment, an initial first appointment mm -hmm. to see them. And what I found is that on that list, the average time it would take for these highly rated top 50 doctors was 27 days, wow. almost an entire month. And then I did the same thing uh, with uh, the restaurants. There's this guide that people use called the Zagat Guide, mm -hmm. Z-A-G-A-T. Everybody knows it, and it lists the restaurants and 
the like. And I had my students call up as well and say, I need a table for four for a Saturday night. What's the, uh, how soon can I get in to, uh, to have a good meal with my friends? So the average waiting time was 41 days, oh. also very large. So then to compare these results, I went back to my students and I said, now on the doctors, open the yellow pages and look for these specialties and just call the random doctor and ask, how long would it take to get in to see a doctor? And the answer that we got was, in some cases, uh, you can come in right now or you can come in tomorrow or within two or three days. Same thing with restaurants. When we called up and we wanted to go to an average restaurant, not one in the Zagreb Guide, we could get a table the same night or certainly within two or three days. So what's the point of this story? The point of this story is that just because we can't get in to see a doctor that we want or to get into the best restaurant doesn't mean there isn't enough restaurants or doctors because everybody knows that no one would starve in San Francisco. If you needed to get a meal, you could find one. If you wanted to go into a top restaurant, you'd have to wait. So the story that really of this lesson is that what people are doing when they're saying, I can't get in to see a doctor when I need one right away, is they're really quality shopping. Lots of people are trying to get to the better doctors to find either in these magazines or what friends and relatives tell them. So just because people can't immediately get in to see a doctor doesn't mean there aren't enough doctors to go around, just like there aren't enough restaurants to go around. Well, and you, of course, just wrote a book called Is There a Doctor in the House? And you make the suggestion that that is a bit against the grain that maybe we really don't need to train more physicians after all. Well, I think that's right. It's clear in the book that I detail the tremendous growth in the supply of physicians and how important they are to the healthcare system. I don't think anybody would deny that. But how does one think about whether we have the right number? And would it matter or is it important if we had too many or too few? So there are a couple of ways of thinking about the right number. The one is we have to have the right number of doctors to provide access. Because without doctors, you really cannot get anything in the healthcare system. They're the key. Uh, they open up the doors, and they are obviously the most important part of the healthcare system from the patient's perspective. So we have to have doctors to have access. So the question is, how quick is this access? Does it have to be immediate? Can we wait for services? Clearly, for some services, emergency services and the like, it has to happen right away, and for other services, it doesn't. So society has to decide what kind of access it wants to provide, and that's one way of thinking about whether we have the right number of doctors, uh, quite an important way of thinking about it. Then if you take a broader perspective from society, we know that healthcare is produced not only by doctors, but of course by nurses, nurse practitioners, and hundreds of thousands of other healthcare workers. And so the question is, do we have enough doctors in the health workforce, looking not only at doctors, but other health professionals, to produce the right level of health for our population? If we have too few doctors and we don't have enough to really produce the healthcare that we want on the global level, that's not the right number. So we have to make sure from that perspective that we have the right number of doctors to produce the level of healthcare that the population and our country deserve and that we want. Now, what would happen if we had too few doctors? Well, what would happen is, of course, there would be some queues, there would be longer waiting lists, but quite frankly, the population that would suffer the most would be those who are the most disadvantaged. Because clearly people who are private pay patients who have very good insurance that can pay good fees are going to have adequate access to doctors and hospitals. 
And the, the population that would not have good access if we had too few doctors would be those either without health insurance or those on Medicaid, generally pays lower fees, or people who just cannot pay any other cost at all. So that's a danger in the system because we want the system to be fair and equitable. Now, if we have too many doctors, there's also a, a danger because doctors, like anybody else, do better when they practice. And we know that practice makes perfect. And if we have too many doctors around, doctors and surgeons in particular will not be able to practice their trade at a level that keeps their skills up. And mm-hmm. so we could get poor quality care and uh, things could be done that would not be in the best interest of the patient because doctors also have to generate revenue to pay their bills and to have an adequate income. In addition, we know that medical education is an expensive proposition. We know that medical students graduate with 150 to $200,000 worth of debt. And also, an estimate that I've worked on recently, you mentioned in my book, shows that it costs society about a million dollars or more to train every doctor. That's a lot of money. So we don't want to train too many, and we don't want to have too few. So getting the number right is extremely important. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Berkeley professor Dr. Richard Scheffler, the author of Is There a Doctor in the House? Market Signals and Tomorrow's Supply of Doctors. We're discussing the physician supply in the United States. So, Dr. Scheffler, how do physician incomes, a subject near and dear to our listeners, how does that affect the doctor supply? Well, physician income is a key component of the doctor supply. We know, for example, that physicians, like anybody else, respond to economic incentives. And we know that there's a greater demand for residencies of specialties that are higher paid, like surgery and radiology. So um, the market signal is that when you pay more in a particular specialty, doctors necessarily gravitate to that specialty. They pick their specialty for a complicated set of reasons, and economics clearly is only one of them. They pick a particular specialty because they enjoy it, they're good at it, and it's a contribution they want to make. But the economics is also a part of it. So the incomes and, and salaries that we pay doctors often determine and help determine the specialty mix, which is extremely important. Also, we know that doctors move geographically, and we continue to have a problem in rural and some inner-city areas where they don't have an adequate supply of doctors. And part of the reason for that is clearly that the incomes that they can generate are just not sufficient to uh, practice uh, at a level that they want and to provide a reasonable salary. So we have trouble locating doctors in these underserved areas. Now, on a more fundamental level, when you think of a college student who's very bright and can do anything, and many doctors are exactly that, they could go to dental school, they could go to law school, they could get an MBA, they could train to do almost anything else because doctors are some of the best and brightest we have. Well, when doctor salaries go down or are lower than other professions, this is clearly something they consider, especially when they're about to undergo eight to ten years of training and leave the training with $100,000 or $150,000 of debt. So we may not be getting the best and brightest people going into the medical professions as salaries decline. But now putting my hat on as an economist, when we see salaries decline or a flat, which is basically what's happened to doctors' incomes since about the mid-'90s and more recently declined in real terms, they've actually gone down. That's for sure. <laughs> and so, uh, And, of course, doctors know that. That's not a good thing, but it is a market signal. And what we know about, putting my hat on as an economist, is that 
when salaries go down of an occupation, it generally means that people aren't interested in it and that the supply is adequate. If we have a real shortage, mm. as we know, of anything, the price goes up. And so when the price goes down, that generally indicates that we have a, a surplus or an adequate supply of doctors. And so I think the market signal from that end is that if we use economic criteria only, and I'm not saying that's the only way of thinking about it, but using economic criteria, the slump in the, uh, the incomes of doctors clearly suggests that we have an adequate supply or perhaps even an oversupply. Well, thank you so much for helping to enlighten us on this issue today. You're welcome. We've been speaking with Dr. Richard Scheffler about the so-called physician shortage in the United States. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcast, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. If you have comments or questions, please give us a ring toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.